Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Listen, we've been in Nehemiah. Here's all I want to do today. The the past few weeks, it's been interesting. You know, I I thought, I mean, Brandon texted me uh, Friday a week ago and said, hey, could you fill in, you know, uh, today? And I looked at this calendar and I'm like, yeah, I I can do that. And Greg had just preached Nehemiah 7. Now, again, we saw Nehemiah, I mean, 7 is not the greatest, you know, I mean, it's just a list. And Greg did a phenomenal job in Nehemiah 7. So I thought for sure Jared's going to be in Nehemiah 8. So I'd started looking already in Nehemiah 8 and kind of making some preparations over the weekend. Jared comes back and then preaches Nehemiah 7 again, which then I realized I was going to be in 8, which, which I'm thankful for. But I wanted to say this. There are not many places now. You're going to find not many churches that two guys are going to preach out of Nehemiah chapter 7 and 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 preach Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you that the, there's a theme here, okay? And listen, I, I'm working something out. And matter of fact, I'm going to work it out here with you today. And I could be completely wrong. And when I get done, I get out there and you're like, I don't think that was right. Well, then, then that'll be the case. But I just think that here's, here's the deal. We're in, we're in Nehemiah 8 today. And I'm just dumb enough to think that from 8, 9, 10, from this point on, okay, from this point on, I believe all that's going on in chapters 1 through 7 really have gotten us to get to this. The whole purpose of those first chapters were to get us to this place today. And here's the question I'm going to ask. And I, I'll promise you, I can show you my notes. And these are, this is chicken scratch. Somebody had asked for some notes. You know, hey, could you, I don't, I don't do that. Listen, I got notebook paper. That's no, I mean, I, I, all this iPad and I'm not, I, I'm not very, technologically inclined. Can I, here's, here's the question. I, I wrote this question down just like this. This shows how Southall redneck I am. Here's the question that I want to start with, and I think we, we can, we can, this may be the theme for the next few weeks. What if it ain't about the wall? What if, it, I wrote that down, A-I-N apostrophe T. That's, I wrote it that way. For you folks, that that's, if you're an English teacher, that makes you shudder. What if it's not about the wall? That's as proper as I'll get. Think about it, though. I've been thinking about that this whole week. We, Nehemiah, from forever, when Nehemiah introduced himself to people later on, you're the guy that built the wall. You're that wall guy. Forever. Anytime we introduce the book, look at our graphic. Brian said, hey, we're going to preach a message on Nehemiah. Somebody went and found this block and, and built. And it's, it's always about the wall. 
And listen, I'm not making light of the wall because I think God had a purpose in building the wall. Certainly he did. But what if that purpose really wasn't just about that wall? And I just don't, I don't think it was. And I'm going to try to prove my point today. I don't know if that's a hypothesis. Is that, is that a, if Jay, is Jake Spangler? No, he's not. If, if Jake, is Jake in here? If he, yeah. There, there's Jake, yeah. Is that a good word, hypothesis? Okay, Jake's always in my small group. He may, if I throw an English word out there that's not right, Jake's my go-to guy. Nehemiah was always defending. What, what if it was about something? What, what if it was about something bigger? Here, here's, here's the question I want to start with, and here's where I want to end. Okay, listen. Would God, would God go to all this trouble? Think about it now. Would God go to all that trouble to use one ordinary man? And when I say ordinary man, Nehemiah, you understand, was not a block mason. He had no experience in, in being a contractor. Lynn Cooper wouldn't have hired Nehemiah to do jack squat for him. He was an ordinary guy. When you shook Nehemiah's hand, it was soft. It was soft. I'll tell you what wasn't what, what soft, though. His knees. He was a prayer. We've seen over and over and over. The guy stayed on his knees. The guy was a praying man. Very diligent in his prayer life. He didn't make a decision. He didn't do anything without first asking and going to God. But he was an ordinary dude. Would God go to all that trouble to use one ordinary man to go do all that work? 52 days, it is a miracle. 52 days of blood, sweat, tears, difficulty, hardships, threats of his life. Would God go to all that trouble for a much bigger purpose than just building a wall? I, I, I think yes. And I'm going to try to prove it. Listen, this story, here, here's, the, here's the Paul Harvey piece. Let's, let's get to the end of the story, okay? And then I'll tell you the rest of the story. This story ain't about a wall. But it's actually about God's people getting back into a right relationship with him. This book, Nehemiah, is about getting God's people back into a right relationship with him. This book is about God getting his people back into a right relationship with him. We've talked about it before, Genesis 1 and, Genesis 1 and 2. I, I, I've, I, it, it's this thin in my Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 takes up this much paper. That, that's the creation. That's, that, that's all God created it. He put all the animals. He created man. He did all these great things. And then we get past one little bitty old page, and we've got the fall and the rest of this book is God's love letter back to us saying, here's my plan to get you back. Here's my plan to get you back. So listen, this book, that's what this entire book's about. So if the entire book is about that, from that point on, Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the end, then that means every other book in the book is about God getting us back, creating a way for us to have a relationship with him. In the Old Testament, that was via the law. In the New Testament, that's Jesus. 
So really, in the end, then, if we wanted to sum it all up, it ain't about the wall. You know who it's about? It's about Jesus. And I don't know if I'll do as well as Greg pointing it back to him or as Jared pointing it back to him in chapter 7, but if they can do it in chapter 7, surely I can do it <laughs> in chapter 8. Let me, think, let, me, let me explain my thinking then. Nehemiah 1, we're, I know we're going to backpedal just a second. Nehemiah 1, chapter 1. Here, here's what we see. We, we've got Nehemiah sitting there. I'm just going to read it. Listen, um, during the month of Chislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, so he's, he's in Susa, and I, one of, one of my brothers arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had returned from exile. These boys walk in. These are brothers of his, buddies of his, and he asked the question. I questioned them about those folks in Jerusalem. They said to me, the survivors in the province who returned from the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Then they added, though, they're in great trouble and disgrace because they said the walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned down. Now, he asked the question, how are, how are people doing back there? They said they are distressed and they're troubled. Then they added, though, they think it's because the walls and the, and the gates are burned. Well, we see there in verse four when he says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for a number of days and I fasted and then he prayed like he did every single time. But here's what's interesting in this prayer. Listen at this prayer. I'm just gonna read half of it. Lord God of heaven. Listen, Nehemiah was a very humble guy. I love the way he prayed. Lord God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night. I confess the sins that we committed against you, both I and my father's house have sinned. In other words, it's not them, it's us, we. But listen to what he says in verse seven. Here's why they were troubled and in distress. Verse seven, we have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands and the statutes and the ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. He goes on, please remember that when you, when, please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and you carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there and I'll bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. Here's what I found interesting. These brothers walk in and there's issues in Jerusalem. How, how's it going? Well, they're distressed and they're troubled. And oh, by the way, the walls are broke down and there's no, the doors are gone. Nehemiah gets, gets burdened himself, goes to the Lord and starts to pray. And I think he prayed for a long time. It wasn't just one prayer. It was prayer after prayer after prayer. Not one mention though. If I'm thinking, if, if, if Nehemiah's thinking, golly, yeah, you know what? The walls are down in the, in the gates. God, listen, nice and, 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 uh, and humble in his prayer. Wouldn't you think though, somewhere in that prayer, he would have said, and Lord, help me rebuild those walls. 
God, please give me favor with Home Depot. Lord, please make Lynn Cooper be available. Not one time does he mention, God help me build the wall. Because I think Nehemiah knew why those folks were distressed. It wasn't about the wall. They were distressed because in verse 7, they've acted corruptly toward him and they've not kept his commands, his statutes, or his ordinances. They were not doing what God had asked them to do. They needed to get back to doing what God had asked them to do. Now we see in chapter two then, all of a sudden God gives them him this vision of, you know what, here's how we're gonna do that. Here's how I'm gonna get my people back in this space, in this time, here's what we're gonna do. Nehemiah, I need you to go help build a wall. I need you to go build a wall. So God begins to put that plan of rebuilding the wall back into his heart there in chapter two. But again, listen to me, and I'll say this a thousand times. You'll walk out here and say, what was the sermon about? Well, it wasn't about a wall. (laughs) It ain't about the wall. It ain't about the wall. Listen, God didn't need the wall to protect those people. God protected people in the Old Testament all kind of crazy ways. Pillar of fire, falling down, protect them. Earthquakes, we see earthquakes where there were earthquakes and and folks falling into holes at times. God parted the sea and then they walked through and then the water comes. There's a thousand different ways God could have chosen to protect those people. He didn't need to have the wall to protect them. He could have just done that. And here's the other thing, and this this is just... Johnson High School education. If it had been about the wall, we, we would have, this book would have been done in chapter six. Maybe chapter seven, just to list the names. And you could have put a period and gone on it. It's still a great book. It's a great miracle. It's a great story. There's a lot of great things in there from chapters one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's a lot of leadership principles, a lot of great stuff. You could have put a period on it, closed the book and gone home and folks still would have bought it. But we got a chapter eight and we got a chapter nine and we got a chapter 10 and there's a reason. You know why? Because it wasn't about the wall. Second piece. If it had been about the wall, Nehemiah goes home after chapter six. If that was the whole purpose, God, we got it done. See y'all, I'm headed back to Susa. I'm going back home. He doesn't do that. Nehemiah sticks around. You know why? Because it wasn't about the wall. It wasn't about the wall. God used the building of this wall to get us to chapter eight, to get them to chapter eight. Them to chapter eight, and then us today to chapter eight. So here's what I want you to think about as we go through this today, and we're getting to chapter eight. Whatever that hardship is, whatever that difficulty, whatever that task, whatever that job, whatever that thing is in your life right now that you're having to walk through, that you're like, man, this is meaningless. Why am I having to do this? Why am I having to lay this block and then this block and then this block? I'm not even a block mason. I don't even know what I'm doing in this part of my life right now. It doesn't make sense. It's monotonous. Whatever that thing is, I want you to think, maybe, just maybe, there's a bigger meaning. Maybe there's a reason. 
I believe there is a reason. And maybe it's not about that, but maybe it's about him. Maybe it's about him. Nehemiah chapter 8. There we go. So listen, now some of you are thinking, I don't know about this. I think he's way off base. That, 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 that's okay. Let's look in Nehemiah chapter 8. Here, here's some notes. Just to, well, let me read. Let me read 8, 1 through, um, let's, let's go 1 through 6. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns and all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate, they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen to understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. There were six guys on his right, seven guys on his left. You can read and try to pronounce those if you want to. <laughs> Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everybody. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, here's just a setup, and this, this is some notes that I, that I had, uh, had looked at this week. The Mosaic Law, just to give you a, a, where we are, the Mosaic Law specified that once every seven years, the people of Israel were to assemble and listen to the reading of the law. So that, that's where we are here, okay? This was to take place during the Feast of Booths, which you're going to hear and see about here in the next couple of weeks. Sometimes in Deuteronomy, they called it the Feast of um, Tabernacles. This occasion, though, provided an opportunity for the people to renew their commitment to God and his law. Renew their commitment to God and the law. And that's exactly what is about to take place here. And so we see then, in, in verse 1, beginning there, all the Israelites had settled in their towns. Now, understand this. When they rebuilt the wall, and the wall was rebuilt around the city, everybody didn't flood and, and, and live in the city. Now, they had towns in and outside. So really, actually, there weren't a lot of folks inside the walls right now, and you, you'll see that as we, as we move forward in the next coming weeks. But they're outside towns. So all the exiles have returned. We saw the list of names. We saw all those people. Everybody's come back, but they're in towns all the way outside. But they knew that during this ceremony, God wanted them all to come back into the city so they could hear the law and renew their commitment. So you've got all these folks now flooding back in, and it says that they met there at the, the water gate. They would have been a huge, um, like a concourse or, a, or a, a, a nice wide open spot in front of this gate for all these people to, to come and gather. It would have looked a lot like this. And they met there at the water gate. Now, I did some research. You know why they call it the water gate? That's where they went out to get water. <laughs> it is, it is. There was a sheep gate. That's where the sheep came in. Liz, they, these folks weren't very original. Guess what happened at the horse gate? I wonder why the horse and the sheep couldn't come through the same gate, but 
There was a gate in that called the corner gate. Guess where that was? It down in the corner, yeah. There was a fish gate. I have no idea how, how the fish swam in and out of that thing. And then how'd you like to be the guy that had to build his house down by the dung gate? And all that was just, just for your uh, pleasure. They met down by the water gate. But here, here's, here's one thing I thought was really neat. It says there in, in verse 1, all the people gathered together, all, everybody at the square in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe. They asked him. You know what I'm seeing here? Up until this point in Nehemiah, all the way up to this point, it's really been about Nehemiah being the head, Nehemiah being the leader, Nehemiah kind of saying, listen, here's what we'll do next. Here's where we go. Everybody's kind of been looking at Nehemiah, and he's led extremely well. But we get to this point, and it's not Nehemiah who invited Ezra. They invited Ezra. You know what I thought, Coach Thomas? This is what I thought about, and she will understand this. She's a head coach. You get teams in athletics, you've got what we call player-led teams and coach-led teams. Coach-led teams can be successful. They, they, can, they can be successful and win. Typically, a coach-led team, though, is not going to win a championship, is it? If the coach is always having to lead and always having to do and everybody's always just standing around and waiting on what coach says, that team can be successful, but it won't win championships. But when you get to a player-led team, when coach is not in the locker room, but yet things in the locker room are going on because now the players have been led by a great leader, but now they're taking on those leadership principles, that's when championships start to get won. Issues start to get taken care of that coach doesn't have to now. You mean tell you what's happened with these people? They've gone from player, I mean coach-led to player-led. They said, get Ezra. Nehemiah didn't have to say that. Go get Ezra. Go get that, the scribe and the priest. He, he was the main guy. They said, that, that's the guy we want standing and reading it today. Go get Ezra. In this book of the law of Moses, there's a lot of people that talk about exactly what he stood and read. Most people believe that it was probably just certain sections of Deuteronomy. Now, he, would have, he wouldn't have read maybe the entire thing, or maybe he did, but he probably would have picked out specific sections based on where they were, and that's exactly what he would have stood and read to them that day. So he stands and reads, and I like what it says there in verse 3, while he was facing, and, and, and he read it from daybreak until noon. You know how long that is? About six hours. How long is this service? Yeah. Dude, we got folks that folks be looking. Six hours. And all Ezra did was stand and read the word for six hours. But listen what it says. Until daybreak until noon before the men and the women and those who could understand, which tells me there was a nursery. God bless Ingrid. This would have been a big nursery. All the people, listen, list, they listened attentively to the book of the law. There wasn't a single person in that crowd for six hours that was bored. 
There wasn't a single person in that crowd that wanted to be somewhere else. There wasn't a single person in that crowd that was distracted. Every person in that crowd, they said they listened intentively. You know why? Because they hungered for the word. They had a hunger for God's word. They wanted the word. They asked Ezra to come read the word. So you know what? When you're hungry and you're, you're attentive, you don't mind standing for six hours. This just popped in my head. This is probably not good. I got my girls with me. I know, April's usually my filter, but I'm not, I got my girls with me. And actually, I've got my, uh, my new little granddaughter there, which matters more than anything. So y'all can talk to the girls, but, but Avery J matters. We went to, I, I t I'm a girl dad, took my girls to Taylor Swift concert. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I don't care. I'm a girl dad. We get there to the concert. And, and as soon as, some, I mean, as soon as somebody even thought something was about to happen, all 80,000 people stand up. Fine. Here comes Taylor. She, you know, da, da, da. she's singing and doing. I'm looking around, 20 minutes. Ain't nobody sitting down yet. She finishes one song, two songs, three songs, 40, 50, 50 minutes in. Everybody's still standing. I look at my daughter, Lindsay. I'm like, are, is, are we going to sit down? Is there going to be a time where we sit down? My, my back's bothering me a little bit. Can I sit down? Nobody's sitting down. I wanted to sit down. You know why? Because I don't really care for Taylor Swift. There's no hunger for me for, for, for Taylor Swift. But listen, there were 80,000 girls in that building that were hungry and attentive and didn't mind one lick. She could have sang six hours. They would have stood the entire time. I didn't have that hunger, but they did. These people, they had a hunger, and the time didn't matter. Time didn't matter. They wanted to hear God's word. You know what's described right here in Nehemiah chapter 8, 1 through 6? Really, it's this right here. It talks about an elevated stage. He's up high so folks can see him. He opens a word. People see that. They stood up as he opened the word. And he just read the word and he preached the word. It's just what we're experiencing right here. I call it big church. That's what we used to call it when I was a kid. Are you going to go to big church today? Because you had little church. Little church was a little kid's church, but you had a big church. It was just a big church service. It's really all that was, was, was going on. Big church. And they listened and they were attentive. And they lifted up their hands and they shouted, amen, amen, which means I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There was a conviction that fell, and we'll get into that here in a second too. But then there's this shift, and I like this. In verse 7, look at verse 7. You got 13 guys who were standing up there with him who were Levites, and they explained the law. Listen to what it says. They explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. Verse 8, they read the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. You know what that's describing. And B.B. may kiss me on the mouth for saying this. That's small groups. So there was a bigger group, Ezra, standing, preaching, talking. And then immediately after that, though, 
There was a time where everybody in the, in, in the plaza that day, standing by the water gate, got into small groups. And you had certain people then who walked around to each group and they translated because some of those folks couldn't speak that language because they had been in exile in Babylon. They didn't know really what was being said. Some of those guys translated what was being said and others explained what was being said. You had times where people in little groups raised their hand and said, I don't understand that. Can you explain that better to me? And they did. You had times where people said, I don't know if I agree with that. So they had discussion and they left with a better understanding of that. It's just describing small groups. We go from big church and then we end up here in a small group. It's important. Listen to me. It was important then for them to get smaller. It's important for us to get smaller. I've always said this. You learn in rows. You, we learn in rows. You grow in circles. You grow in a circle. You can learn sitting here in a row but you grow when you get in a circle. You grow when you get knee to knee with somebody. And here's what I'm asking you. If you walk in this church, you walk into big church, you sit down, you listen to Brian, you get preached to, you get the word, and you walk out of here and you're not any other time during the week. There's no other time during the week that you're not getting in a circle with other believers other like-minded folks, and you're not sitting in a circle and you're letting somebody sit there and explain and you're going back and forth and we're taking God's word and we're diving deeper into what he preached and what he taught and we're asking questions. If you're not doing that, you're missing something. There's a big piece that you're missing. And I'm not saying you've got to get involved in a small group here, but you need somebody, you need some people that you're sitting down with throughout the week and doing exactly what they do here. My small group is extremely important to me. I mean, we had a nice little ice cream social Friday night. Dude. I mean, come on. Just an excuse to eat ice cream sometimes. But me and my wife were talking, though. I mean, the, the, the fellowship that went on, it was incredible. People talking and talking and just doing life together and and then we get in our room up there after, you know, on Sunday morning, we, we just talk and we ask questions and we try to, and we share burdens and there's all the, the stuff that can't go on here. You learn in rows, you grow in circles. And you know what they created right there in Nehemiah chapter eight? Those boys walked out there in the middle of the crowd. And I think they went from pile to pile to pile. I don't know how long this took. It would have taken a long time, but pile to pile to pile. And you know what's interesting you read in here? They read the book, it says, verse 9, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them. So Nehemiah and Ezra walked out in there too. They weren't so high and mighty that they stood up on the stage and felt like that's somebody else's job. Everybody walked out in the crowd. Because they wanted to make sure everybody understood exactly what was being said was exactly what God wanted out of them. So this, I guess this is a small group promotion. Get your tail involved in a small group. You find somebody that you can, you, you find, but don't you leave here today. You grab somebody and say, could me and you sit down and have coffee this week? Bring this, 
and watch what happens. If you're not, you're missing a big piece. It's called discipleship. And as you, you as a follower of Jesus, you ought to be participating in it. You're missing an opportunity to grow if you don't. Verse 10, key verse. I think the key verse of the whole book. What it ain't about, it ain't about the wall. What it is about, it is about him. Listen right here, and this is where I think Nehemiah puts the stake in the ground and, and tells us that. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, I don't know he who he was. Could have been Ezra, could have been Nehemiah, could have been any of those boys. Then they said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, Send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, he says, because your strength comes from rejoicing in the Lord. Or do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. Now listen to this, okay? And this is where I kind of this is this is where I'm, I'm I'm basing my whole hypotheses. He said, "I like this part though." He said, "Listen, go eat what's what's rich. Get you a good piece of chocolate cheesecake, because this is a, this is supposed to have been a time of celebration now. Because we read earlier, well, we kind of skipped over that, but there's a part where they're mourning, and he's like, "No, no, no, this ain't about mourning. That's coming." Somebody else gets to preach that, that bad news. I'm preaching the good news today. This ain't a day of mourning. This is a day of celebrating. It's a day of time. This, this, this celebration of all that God's done in his activity in our lives is what he said. So go eat something that's rich. Go grab you a glass of iced tea, sweet tea. Go get you something rich. You grab you a nice glass of sweet tea. And oh, by the way, if there's some folks in and around you that don't have it, you share it with them. Since today is holy to the Lord. But he said, don't you grieve. Listen what he don't say. Don't you grieve because your strength comes from the wall. Don't forget, we built this wall. It's a great wall. You help build it. Nobody can knock it down. Our strength comes from the wall. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. And I think that's what I thought. You know what? It ain't about the wall. He said, listen, and somebody needs to hear it. I need to hear this today. I'm preaching to myself too, by the way, okay? So if you're getting anything out of it, great. I'm loving it. <laughs> Do not grieve. Don't grieve. Listen, because your strength comes from rejoicing in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your stronghold, not a wall. Not a wall. Some of us have built these things in and around us and we think that's what's going to protect us is our, our job or our family or our finances and all these things that we build up. And you know what happens to every one of those things? Eventually, they come crashing down. You know what happened to this beautiful, nice, strongly built, put together wall? Eventually, yeah, it didn't last either. Nehemiah knew it wasn't going to last. So he said, look around. And don't you think for one second that we're strong because of this wall. We're strong because of the Lord. God's blessed us. And God built the wall. Nehemiah's probably thinking, do y'all think? Could it be 
that God put us through all of this to get us to this place, in this place, by this water gate, so this guy could stand and read the word to draw us back into a relationship with him. Would God go to all that trouble to do that? I think he would. Real quick. How long? Oh, I'm doing great. Watch this. Watch this. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, 13. Very familiar story. The, the Emmaus. Okay, the road to Emmaus. You, get, you got the, the, the disciples. This is after the crucifixion. You got these boys after the crucifixion. Jesus has been crucified. Okay? They, it didn't go down the way they thought it should go down. They thought it was going to be this great big, you know, victory. And all of a sudden, they see the guy they've been following for years get crucified, and he's dead. Graveyard dead. They saw it. And they got discouraged, and they're leaving. They're headed back home, back to Emmaus. Good little walk now from there back to Emmaus. But on the way, Jesus, okay, after the resurrection, now they didn't know it. Jesus slips up behind them, is walking with them. I'm sure they were the others. Jesus comes in behind them, and they have this conversation. They have this conversation. He says, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? They, they stop walking. They look discouraged. And one of them says, man, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here? I mean, can you imagine saying that to, to Jesus? I mean, later, I'm sure that guy's like, oh my God, my bad. <laughs> Jesus says, Jesus says, what things you talking about? Come on. They said the things concerning Jesus and Nazarene. And they just kind of say, listen, it didn't go down the way we thought it was going to go down. Listen, though, what he says in verse 25. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. And I don't think he said that in a derogatory way. I think it was in a sweet way. How unwise and slow you are to believe. Slow, but you're getting there. Man, it's slow, but you're getting there. Listen, didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Ah, listen, I just thought this this week. I thought this is great. Jesus literally went back in the Old Testament and started teaching. And he said, you see this story? That, that's about me. You see this story? And they would have said, yeah, we've heard that our entire life. Well, you know what? That, that's, that's about me. You see this story? That's about me. This story, that's about me. Matter of fact, every story in there, when he got to Nehemiah, I just happened to believe when he hit the chapter, Nehemiah chapter, and he just flipping it going. I mean, he got it in here, though. He didn't have to flip because he, he wrote it himself. He gets to Nehemiah. And I just believe, and he said to those guys, listen, listen, it ain't about the wall. It ain't about the wall. And they're like, man, I've always thought Nehemiah was always about the, no, it ain't about the wall. It ain't about the wall. And they go on, and I like when they said, listen, when their eyes got open, you know, Jesus ends up with them and breaks the bread, and all of a sudden they realize who he is, and I said, I like this. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures? And I think the other guys like, dude, my heart was about to come out of my chest. I didn't want to say anything, but 
And when he got to the Nehemiah part, he said, man, it wasn't about the wall. I thought, man, that, that's awesome. Every story over and over, Jesus was like, no, 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 it wasn't about that. Let me show you where I'm at in that word. Let me show you where I'm at in that word. It ain't about the wall. He does it again on down there in verse 44. Then those guys run back to Jerusalem. They're jacked up and excited. They got to go tell somebody. They walk in the room. They're telling them. As they're in the room telling them, Jesus walks through the wall and is present. And he does the same thing again. It says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He did it again. For everybody in that room, he just walked all the way back to the beginning and just showed them, listen, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. And oh, by the way, in Nehemiah, it ain't about the wall. It ain't really about the wall. Acts 8, we're not going to go there for sake of time. But Philip and the Ethiopian, same deal. God sends Philip out in the middle of a desert. Leaves a big, nice revival to send him out in the desert. Don't even know why. And there's one guy in the middle of the desert. And he's reading Isaiah. And the scripture that he's reading just so happens to be about Jesus. And the guy's like, man, what are you, Phillips, what are you reading? I, I don't know. I mean, I, who's this about? Can you explain this to me? And Philip, it says, Philip then does the same thing Jesus did. He walks him all the way back and he starts to tell him. And I don't know if Philip got to Nehemiah or not, but I guarantee if he did, guess what he'd have said? It ain't about the wall. It ain't about the wall. So back to our original question that we asked at the very beginning. Would God, listen to me now, would God go to all this trouble just to restore me? Would God go to all this trouble for me? I mean, he knows what I've done. He knows who I am. He knows what I think, what I don't think, what I say, what I don't say, what I do, what I don't do. He knew it before. Would he go to all this trouble it's a lot of trouble. When I think about in Philippians, listen how much trouble. Listen. Listen to the heart of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, make your own attitude that of Christ, who existed, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used. You do understand he was in heaven. He had it made. But he didn't consider that Equality with God to be something that to use to his advantage, it said. It's instead, 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 he could have, but instead, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. He didn't assume himself, he could have assumed himself as a form of a king, but he didn't. He assumed the form of a slave taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Would God, would God go to all that trouble? That's a lot of trouble. Would God go to all that trouble for me and for you? Why would God go to all that trouble? Here's why. Because he wanted to renew that relationship that had been broken all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And then very familiar scripture, John 3, 
16. For God so loved, he so loved this world or you or me that he gave his one and only son so that anybody, everybody who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn this world but that the world might be saved through him. Would God go to all that trouble to build a wall to get his people in a pile so he could have the word read so he could get them right so they could understand what they needed to do and confess and we'll get to that in chapters 8, 9, 10 and on down the road or 9, 10, 11 on down the road. Would God do that much trouble with a wall just to do? Yes. Would God send his only son, go to all the trouble of taking his son from heaven itself and send him down here in the form of a slave just to get you, just for you? Yeah, he sure would. So here's the invitation this morning. I'm not going to tell you how to respond, but I will say this. If you've never repented of your sin and believed in Jesus for the, for the uh, forgiveness of those sins, just know that he did that. He went to all that trouble for you to do that. Just repent and believe. He loves you that much. He loves you so much. And if you've already got that relationship, but you know what? You're kind of like those folks then. You've you, you just been wandering. And listen, God will let you wander. Now, I've learned that. God will let you drift and wander as long as you want to. But here's the deal. As soon as you turn back, as soon as you decide, as soon as you come to yourself and you turn, he's right there to accept you. He wants that relationship right. And it's only through Jesus that it can be right. So maybe, there's, maybe you've been wondering. You know what? Maybe he said today, it ain't about the wall and it ain't about whatever else that thing that in, in your life. It ain't about that. But it is about you. And it is about him. So I'm not going to tell you how to respond. Whatever the scriptures have said to you, been read and taught, whatever they say, have said to you, whatever God's asking you to do, whatever you need to do, if it's down here at this altar, if it's right there in your chair, if it's after this service you leave and go, to, whatever that thing is, Whatever that thing is, my prayer is you'll just respond in obedience because he loves you that much. Father, we thank you we just thank you. There's no reason no good reason that I can think of for you to do what you've done for us. Not one single thing except for the fact that you love us and you long for us to be right with you. God, you want to see us. You want to talk to us. God, you want to use us. And all those distractions, all those things sometimes, and there's things that you use in our lives, God. You use things to get us to places. And maybe there's things right now in, in, in the lives of these people, God, that you're using and we just have been thinking it's a distraction, but really it's a means to you. Father, would you just have your way here this morning? And God, we love you too. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.